Our scripture passage today is from the gospel according to Matthew. This is chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. This is the, uh, I guess, part of the post-Christmas Christmas story. These events that happen right after the visit of the wise men come to adore the Christ child. Uh, before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and Heavenly Father, the giver of all the gifts that we truly possess. Lord, you have given us also your holy word to direct our steps and our thoughts, Lord. Uh, to lead us in this world, Lord, that is uh, too often in need of the light. Father, we ask today that as we read your holy word today, that you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that the same spirit that inspired these words would inspire us again. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> this is the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so for this New Year's Day, I want to do a little bit of a flashback. All right, we're going to go back in time a little bit, over 30 years. For those of you that were alive 30 years ago, you might remember this. We're going all the way back to 1991. Okay, a headline came out in 1991. It was uh, out of, let me see, Channel View, Texas. Channel View, Texas. 1991, a suburban mom by the name of Wanda Holiday was arrested for hiring a contract killer. That's right, suburban mom, Wanda, out there, and she hired a contract killer. 
Now, what was noteworthy about this wasn't just a suburban mom hiring a contract killer. She had hired a contract killer to kill another suburban mom. It was a woman that lived just around the corner from her, a woman named Verna. Now, the issue that they were having, or the issue rather that Wanda was having, was all about cheerleading. It was cheerleading, yeah. Her, she had a daughter, a, a girl by the name of Shanna, and Shanna was trying out for the cheer squad. And Shanna worked really hard. I mean, she worked really hard all year long. Went to practices, special camps, had, uh, had some private coaching. I mean, everything you could do to earn a spot on the cheer squad. But year after year, Shanna failed to make the squad. Now, Wanda figured out what the problem was. The problem was Verna's daughter, a girl by the name of Amber. Amber was making the cheer squad every single year instead of Wanda's daughter, Shanna. So Wanda did what any mother would do. You hire a contract killer to solve the problem. I mean, that's what you do, right? But she felt bad. She didn't want to kill the girl, actually. The contract killer was for the girl's mom. Because her thinking was, with her mom dead, Amber would be too upset to try out for the cheer squad. And her daughter would take her rightful place as a cheerleader at the high school. Now, if you remember that, <clears throat> when uh, the news broke of that story, it was kind of a, a wait what moment for the whole nation. As in, we all went, wait, what? Wait, she hired her for, for what? Cheerleading? We're really hiring contract killers now over cheerleading? That's where we've come as a nation? It was kind of this national moment of both confusion and a little bit of shame. And things really didn't get better from then. If you remember just three years later, Another contract went out. This is over ice skating this time. Remember the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan? Tanya Harding was sick of playing second fiddle to Nancy Kerrigan. So she hired some thugs right before the Olympics to just smash her knee and hopefully take her out of the Olympics. It didn't work. Nancy Kerrigan got silver. Tanya Harding ended up having to drop out of the competition. But anyway, you know how these things go. We all kind of had to sit back and wonder, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where even in sporting competitions like ice skating and cheerleading, that we're hiring killers and thugs in order for us or our daughters to get ahead? We really shouldn't have been too surprised. Things had been kind of moving in that direction for quite a long time, and I hate to say it hasn't really gotten better in the last 30 years. And when I say things are moving in the wrong direction, what I mean is there is a mentality, an attitude that seems so pervasive in our culture today. And it's the attitude that led a mom to hire a contract killer over cheerleading and one woman to hire out a thug to knock out her competition. And the attitude I'm talking about is entitlement mentality. It's an entitlement mentality. This idea that I deserve whatever it is I happen to want. Not that I just want it. I deserve it. 
And you can fill in the blank anywhere. I deserve whatever. I deserve happiness. I deserve to have a good education. I deserve to live in a safe neighborhood. I I deserve to have a peaceful and prosperous retirement. I deserve to have well-behaved children. I deserve to be just as rich as that guy around the corner. I work just as hard as he does. I deserve to have just as good a life as any of my neighbors do. They know better than me. Just as good as they are. I deserve to have my daughter on the cheerleading squad. You get the idea. It's an entitlement mentality. And what's interesting about this entitlement mentality is it is so widespread. It is so widespread. And the the great thing about it is it's so easy to identify in other people, but almost impossible to identify in ourselves. So what makes it so hard to identify in ourselves is when we have a sense of entitlement, we think we deserve something. So when other people experience it, it's a sense of entitlement. When we experience it, it's just wanting what I deserve. It's not entitlement. It's my right. It's not entitlement at all. But what's great is, is, is we see it all over culture, and we can identify it everywhere. Now, most people think it's the older people looking at the younger ones and seeing a sense of entitlement. Right? And that normally what we think of, the older people looking at the young people saying, these young people with their sense of entitlement, you know, they want everything for nothing. They don't want to work for it like we had to work for it. Who do they think they are? But, you know, the young people look at old people, and they see a sense of entitlement. Like these older people, they think they can just tell everybody what to do, tell us how to live our lives, how to vote, how to raise our kids, what kind of job we work. Who do they think they are? And you know, liberals look at conservatives and they see entitlement. This white male patriarchy, they've got all their rights and their white privilege and their entitlement and they've been running this place for so long, they think they deserve it. Who do they think they are? Then of course the conservatives looking at the liberals Saying, man, these guys don't even want to work for what they've got. They want free housing. They want free wages. They want free health care. They want free cell phones. I mean, who do they think they are? You see how it works? You know, that's the way we see the sense of entitlement. We see it in others. We never see it in ourselves. We're always saying, who do they think they are? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. Will you hear a person say, who do I think I am that I would deserve this? It's a very dangerous attitude, this entitlement. So dangerous, it can lead to murder. And not just cheerleader moms. They can lead to widespread murder. Anywhere that you find this attitude, you could find it. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is, not, this is not a new attitude, all right? This is not something that we invented. It's not something from spoiled 21st century Americans got. This is an old attitude. It's been with us a long time. You go even back to, to B.C. We look back here at the beginning, at the very birth of Christ, and we see an entitlement attitude. 
King Herod. King Herod had an entitlement mentality. And he had it so bad. He had it so great and it was so pervasive. It led him to one of the greatest atrocities in history. To order the murder of all male children two years old and younger. See, King Herod was, he was the king in, in Jerusalem. And he had gotten this message, these, these wise men, if you remember the story right before this, these wise men come through and they say that they have been looking for signs of prophecies. And they watched the stars in the heavens for these signs. And they had seen the star in the east. And to them, they knew what the star meant. It was the birth of the king of the Jews. And it was this long-awaited prophecy. So they go to King Herod. And they go right there to Jerusalem because they knew that this is where, this is where the, uh, the, the deliverance would come from, come from the Jews. And so they go to Herod and they say, we've seen the star in the east. We know that the one that is going to be called king of the Jews is going to be born. We want you to help us find him because we want to go and worship him. Now the big problem here, big problem, King Herod's already king of the Jews. And here he's been told that this child is going to be born and he's going to be the king of the Jews. So Herod's got a rival now. This child's going to be born to come up and to take his place. So he meets with his priests, with his scribes, and they sit down and they figure out, this isn't just a king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. This is the heir of King David. This is the promised one, the savior of the land, the one to bring back all the glory to Israel. And it's going to be through him that all nations are going to be blessed. This isn't just another king reigning. This is the king coming to reign over the world. So obviously that changes things, right? I mean, King Herod was the rightful king, but this is the Son of God. So who wins between the will of God and an entitlement mentality? Who wins out? Unfortunately, entitlement mentality wins out. This might be God's way, might be His, His will right now, but I'm the king. I'm the rightful king. I belong here. This is my throne. This is my kingdom. It was given to me by my family. Maybe he's the son of God, but I want to be the son of God. Why can't I be the son of God? Don't I to be deserve the son of God just as good as anybody else? This isn't fair. My kingdom. This is my throne. I'm not going to do it. So what does Herod do? He plots with the wise men. He says, I want to find the child too so I can worship him also. But in fact, he's planning on murdering Jesus. So the wise men are warned by God in a dream not to go back that way. Don't go visit Herod. They went in another way. And our story as it picks up today, when Herod found out about it, it said he was furious. He was so angry he had been tricked. But he's not ready to give up. Not yet. His sense of entitlement is not going to give up his throne. He's the king and he has deserved it. And if he can't find the one child that is going to be the one to take his throne, well, he's just going to kill them all. So he orders something that we call the slaughter of the innocents. Every male child in Bethlehem and surrounding areas, every single one, two years old and younger, is to be killed. If I can't get the one, then I'll get them all. Problem solved. You see what a dangerous attitude this is? 
this entitlement attitude, this attitude of I deserve. See, what's so dangerous about it is once you think you deserve something, you think you've got a right to it. It's not just something you want or something you need. This is something now that you have a right to. And if you've got a right to something, then you can fight for it, you can protect it, you can defend it. There's almost anything, anything that you can do in order to protect this because it is a right, and by golly, you deserve it. And there's no justification in the mind that's too great or, or too wild or, or even too diabolical that you won't be able to justify if you believe that you deserve it enough. Now, thankfully, most entitlement mentality doesn't lead to murder. But it does lead to uh, all manner of ugliness and sin and evil. Our entitlement mentality leads us to rivalry and infighting and gossip and backstabbing and plotting and scheming and name-calling and slander. Entitlement mentality leads to division between neighbors, between co-workers, between friends. It's led to division in families. It's even split churches apart. Entitlement mentality will lead to betrayal, saying things that you can't unsay, bitterness and hatred that lasts as long as life. All because we think we deserve something. And where do we get this idea anyway? Where do we get the idea that we deserve anything? Yes, it's true, it's, it's a sign of a spoiled generation to think that whatever we want, whatever we desire, that somehow we are entitled to, somehow we deserve it. I'll tell you how bad it's gotten. Back of a, my wife used to have a shampoo bottle in the back of it. It said, every woman deserves to have great hair. That is how far entitlement is gone. <laughs> Thank you for that, Harris. Not the right kind of amen, but yeah. Got to the point that what we deserve is great hair. Even that is something we deserve. But the very idea that we deserve anything is nothing short of diabolical. Because everything that we have Everything that we have, even our life, is a gift. Everything that we have down to the breath in our lungs and the blood flowing in our veins and every single beat of our heart is a gift of God. And we did nothing to deserve it. And we did nothing to earn it. Thankfully, there's another model that we see in this story. The model of another type of attitude. And this is from Joseph. We talked about Joseph a few weeks ago. And this is one of the last appearances that, that he makes here in the Bible. But Joseph is a model that stands over and against everything that Herod stands for. If Herod is the kind that stands for an entitlement mentality, our worst kind of self, the I want self, then Joseph represents here everything that we can be. Everything that we should aspire to. Because he's not guided by an entitlement mentality of what I deserve. He's guided by the Spirit of God. 
Four times in Joseph's story. Two little chapters in the Bible. Four times during Joseph's story, he is instructed by God in a dream to go do something. Four times he's told by God in a dream to do something, and it's really not something that pleasant. And four times Joseph obeys him without question. Never once does Joseph say, but what about what I want? What about my vision for my life? You didn't ask Hezekiah to do this. Why are you asking me to do this? Hezekiah, he gets a nice little life. He gets some peaceful life and a great job. How come I'm the one that's having to traipse all over creation, being chased by angry kings? Joseph accepted what God gave him, the good along with the bad, the hardships and the dangers along with the honors. There were a lot of hardships he had to face. He had to flee the wrath of a king, pack up in the middle of the night, and move to a completely foreign land. Imagine that. Imagine if you had to pack up your stuff right there in the middle of the night and go flee to to Mexico or to Canada or somewhere else that you've never been to before, all because the United States government was coming to kill you and to kill your family. Joseph was given the very difficult job of protecting a woman and child in a very dangerous world and protect them from a king that was hunting them down. You know, maybe Joseph did complain. Maybe he did feel sorry for himself, but we're not told that at all. So there's no reason for us to think that at all. It's all we see from Joseph is faithful obedience. What we see in him is not a heart of entitlement. He had the very opposite. He had a heart of gratitude. He had a heart of gratitude, a heart that would say, thank you, God, for what you have given me. Now, if some of y'all noticed that the uh, title of my sermon today is The OG. And that's a cultural reference that goes back to around the time that Wanda was plotting the death of a suburban mom around the corner. And originally, the OG meant original gangster, or gangsta, if you say it right. But today, the OG means the original Grinch, based off of the story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Y'all should be able to guess who the original Grinch is. It's Herod. Herod tried to steal Christmas, the very first Christmas, and someone's already trying to steal it. And you know why he didn't succeed? Well, first of all, if it was the Holy Spirit protecting him. But the reason that this Grinch didn't succeed was because of Joseph's obedience. That's how he failed. It was Joseph's faithful obedience and his gratitude versus all the fuming anger and plotting and power of an entitled king who wanted everything for himself. Notice who wins in the end. Who won in the end was not the spoiled, self-centered, entitled me attitude, even when he had a kingdom and an army and soldiers to back it up. The winner here is a man of faithful obedience. A man of humble gratitude. That's how Christmas was saved the very first time. And that's how we can save it today.
Now, friends, in a world that has become further removed from the spirit and meaning of Christmas, a world that grows selfish and entitled from the young all the way to the old, what will preserve this beautiful holiday and the meaning behind it are men and women of faithful obedience. What will preserve this holiday and its true meaning are people of humble gratitude. People that look at not what we deserve, but people who are eternally grateful for everything that God has given us. This is how Christmas will be preserved for future generations. This is how we will be able to faithfully follow the Spirit of God as we move through an uncertain future, but toward the certain destiny that God has chosen for us. Faithful obedience. Humble gratitude. This is the spirit that saved Christmas. To God be all the glory, forever and ever. Amen.